and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And for our movie today, I've decided to go back to the well, back to my specialty category, goofy 80s comedies. And I'm very excited about this one because I happen to consider this a guilty pleasure that I've loved for years. And uh, the movie I'm talking about, of course, is the 1985 vampire comedy Once Bitten, also known as the first Jim Carrey movie, a movie I have held near and dear to my heart for a variety of reasons, and we'll talk about those when we get there. And I am very excited for my co-host for this one because I actually found somebody around my age who loves this movie just like I do. And that's shocking because this is not a movie that's all that well known. It's kind of a niche movie and it's, I don't think either one of us would argue it's a masterpiece. But we both have a certain degree of love for it, especially one scene towards the end, which I'm sure we'll talk about endlessly, the dance scene. But anyway, welcome to Staff Picks to talk about Once Bitten. He is a... Uh, columnist. He's written about Survivor, a journalist. He's written about the TV show for years, much like I have. We kind of come from parallel worlds. He also works uh, for a video game company. Welcome to the show, Gordon Holmes. Uh, Mario, thank you for having me. We finally meet after all these years, my friend. Finally. And not to, to correct you, but I work for a cable company uh, that uh, dabbles in video games. So. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. In, in case my boss is listening and he's like, is Gordon Moonlighting in a video game company? <laughs> All right. I will not. I promise I will not sell you out here on staff picks. Right. So uh, just to give a little history now uh, for my listeners, I obviously am known real well in the survivor community. I try not to bring it up too much on the show because I try to make this for a more broad audience. But Gordon has been writing about the show as long as I have, if not even longer. What's your history with Survivor? I'm curious now. Oh, well, um, back in sort of 2008, I believe it was. Um, I, I work for uh, Comcast Xfinity outside of Philadelphia, and I was part of a, a team that, that did coverage of different TV shows. And we got the offer to go out to see Survivor and uh, to, to, to be part of the press junket uh, out in Gabon, Africa. And they offered it to everybody on the staff. Nobody wanted to sleep in a, in a dome tent in the middle of the African jungle. Uh, I've been a fan of the show since its, since its inception, and I jumped at the chance. And then it kind of became my beat. So you know, I've been covering it ever since then. I've been on location on 10 different occasions to, you know, to Nicaragua, to the Philippines, to Samoa, to Cambodia, to Fiji for the last, it feels like 100 seasons. Uh, so, yeah, I've been covering it since then, you know, with the pregame interviews, postgame interviews, you name it. Me and Jeff Probst are best bros. <laughs> and you're also the guy who created the Survivor Hall of Fame, correct? That is correct. A dubious distinction, indeed. Uh, yeah, for maybe around five years, we did uh, elections into a, a, a Hall of Fame. Uh, the the crew would vote, uh, Jeff Probst, John Kerhofer, uh, Matt Van Wagenen, also the press, myself, Dalton Ross, uh, Josh Wiggler, Mar Reinstein. And then there would be a component where the, the fans would vote. And uh, we elected uh, maybe 13 or 15 people into our uh, our little Hall of Fame, uh, much very controversial Hall of Fame that is, is now. <laughs> It, it's uh, it's waiting in the wings. Maybe it'll be revived someday. Who knows? And people seem to bug me about it every day. And this somehow led you into the career you currently hold as a expert on 1980s vampire movies. Indeed. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a niche, but it's it's a niche that, that I feel like it needs some love because, like, you know, you kind of got into these early 2000 vampire movies 
movies that don't even have dance numbers. Uh, so like, I, I feel like, you know, it, it's really important. We're kind of, we're doing God's work in a lot of ways here. So, uh, yeah, so I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to, uh, to, to talk about this, uh, beloved gym, you know, without a dance number, it's like, they're not even trying. I tell you. So the, the reason I, I think the reason I'm here is because it like, uh, you know, I work for a cable company, you know, I was browsing free movies, once Bitten was there, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this forever. And I'm very big on, I'll put on a movie and then mess around with my phone. Like, I, it, it takes a lot to get me to focus on a television screen these days. And as I was doing it, uh, I think this, the song Hands Off came up. And that's actually I have that on my jogging playlist. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then watching it, blown, and I don't want to jump the gun, but like, if you have not seen this movie, it's worth it even just to jump on YouTube and catch these three minutes just because it, it is the, the height of, of, uh, of uh, brilliance to me. I'm a huge, huge fan of, of this dance number in particular. Okay, here's my little story about the dance number, and I will fill in the blanks for people who may not remember this. It's a silly vampire comedy starring a young Jim Carrey, a uh, model, Lauren Hutton, was given a big role. This is her big breakout, but the thing that's most iconic about this movie, iconic obviously an open-ended term, but it's iconic for me, is there's this really funny dance scene at the end set to the song Hands Off, which is Gordon is talking about. One of my favorite scenes in any 80s movie, this dance scene, it's fantastic. I love it. I love it so much that it is now banned from my house. <laughs> my wife hates that scene so much. She's like, you've seen that so many times. Could you please stop watching that? My kids hate that scene. They've seen it so many times. So I'm doing the Lord's work here and spreading it to the world because it is banned from my house. I got to admit that this it has me very concerned. My wife has never seen uh, Once Bitten. And she asked what kind of shenanigans I was getting up to tonight. I said, well, I'm doing doing a podcast with Mario and talk about what's bitten. She's what's once bitten. And I'm like, it's a, it's an amazing movie that I'm not going to make you watch because <laughs> I make you watch enough wrestling and survivor as it is. Uh, but no, there will come a time where I make you watch the dance number. And she's <laughs> like the dance number in the vampire movie. So I, I'm very concerned that uh, it, you've had such a negative reaction to it. I don't, I don't want my, my wife to, to, you know, to turn on the movie just based on, on that is it so was it the thing where it, like was it a, like they immediately hated it or they grew to hate it due to over being played too frequently yeah this is not so much an uh, issue of quality it's one of quantity yeah so the first time they probably thought it was funny the 200th time they've seen it they probably don't like it as much that's that that's probably more my problem than the dancing itself but yes it's many many repeated viewings okay so i'll keep it to like around 150 and then that way she won't turn on me. <laughs> yeah. What is the magic number? We need a formula here. Right. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll just keep that. It'll, it'll be our little experiment. I'll, I'll drop you a line when she freaks out. <laughs> it was 124. Who knew? That was the number. I can just picture you with your wife's eyelids taped open a la A Clockwork Orange as she's forced to watch the dance sequence from Once Bitten. I've done worse, uh, to be honest. Uh <laughs> Here, here's a fun little if, if you're looking to get divorced um here's a fun little trick sometimes like it used to be i get up earlier than she does i go into the city to go to work and uh, she's a church music director so she tends to work more evenings for like choirs and things like that so uh it, it got to the point when we first were first married to wake her up i would play the song uh friday by rebecca black i'm, I'm sure you're familiar with it from mm -hmm. it's heyday a couple of years ago and i found different versions um that you could play one that uh uh one that um who, uh, who sings it? 
Jimmy Fallon does a version of it. So I played different ones. I learned how to play it on my own guitar. I'd wake her up with the playing Friday. And one day, inspiration struck. I was leaving, and we're we have a two story home, and she our bedrooms on the on the the, the, the second floor. As so I was leaving, we have an Alexa unit in the um, in the living room, and I said, "Alexa, play Friday by Rebecca Black on a loop," and I left. Um, <laughs> and we're still together. We're still happily married. But I, that was the day I tested the boundaries. So I, I feel like the the hands off dance number has that kind of potential. <laughs> I like to think yeah. that somebody's listening to this podcast and they have an Alexa and it just heard me say that. And now somebody in their own home is listening to Friday by Rebecca Black on a loop. Alexa, play once bitten on loop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this movie. So this is a very silly, amateurish movie from the mid 80s, as most of the 80s comedies were. It was not a massive hit. It's really about, uh, I'll just summarize it really quickly, about a virgin in Los Angeles played by young Jim Carrey who is seduced by a vampirist named the Countess played by Lauren Hutton. She needs to drink his blood three times to stay immune, to stay young for the rest of her life. And it is foiled when Mark's girlfriend gets in the way and now it's a love triangle. So it's your typical, it's Shakespearean almost in its drama. I got to tell you, man, there's something about those 80s comedies and like guys needing to lose their virginity, uh, which is mind blowing because not to not to, you know, overshare here. But like I was a teenager in the early 90s. I don't remember any kind of pressure from society or my friends like got to lose that virginity. So like th this plot point is foreign to me. Maybe the 80s were different, uh, but very important. To, and they even make the, the joke that it's so hard to find a virgin these days. Um <laughs> So, yeah, very, very different than my experience in, in high school. Yeah, and that, that is a running trope in 80s movies. I've noticed how, how uh, the 80s are such a modern time that, no, that everybody's had sex by now. Nobody's innocent anymore. So it's like right. that's a running trope. So that's the plot of this movie again. This movie kind of came and went. It didn't make a lot of money. It wasn't really a big hit. What, what catapulted it into people's memories is 10 years later, Jim Carrey became a huge star, the biggest movie star in the world. And uh, I guess we should fill people in on his history. Do you want to kind of fill people in on In Living Color if they're not familiar with that? Sure. Uh, so Jim Carrey was a comedian um, in the 80s, and uh, um, he became a cast member on the uh, Wayans Brothers show uh, In Living Color, which was a sketch comedy show on Fox. Uh, he became very, very popular. His character, you might be familiar with... Uh, the, 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 uh, this is so, like the, the guy that got caught on fire. I'm sure he had a name. I'm sure I don't remember it. Fire Marshal uh, Bill. Fire Marshal Bill. And wasn't there like Vera, which was a female uh, weightlifter? Yes, the uh, least feminine female weightlifter ever. Yes. Okay. So, so yes, he, he was wildly popular on that show. Also, Jamie Foxx came from that show. Uh, and then he had, a, had a, his, 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 his first starring role post In Living Color, or maybe during In Living Color, was called Ace Ventura Pet Detective. It had a very small budget. Uh, it made infinity dollars and kind of launched him into the stratosphere as far as, um, you know, as far as comedic actors at that time, it, to the point where I believe he was the first actor to make 20 million uh, for a movie. Yeah, I think that uh, was for the cable guy. Yes. And it, it, it became there was a point there where Jim Carrey movies were like legitimate events. Um, you know, the he, he can't if you if you're a younger listener can't emphasize enough that he was legitimately like the biggest star in Hollywood at one point. Yeah. Yeah. There was like Arnold Schwarzenegger had an era and Jim Carrey had an era. And it was the weirdest thing because Jim Carrey was just a sketch comedy guy on In the Living Color who did weird stuff. 
and he got this movie Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which I want to do on Staff Picks one day because I love Ace Ventura. But Ace Ventura was not expected to be a hit, and it was. And then all of a sudden, he made every movie he made was like the biggest comedy in the world. And I think he made Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber all within one year, if I recall. Yeah. It was even to the degree where he did a movie called The Truman Show, which wasn't like a straight out comedy. Like it, it was, you know, there, there was some real dramatic elements to it. And, and even that wasn't enough. Like you, you would think that somebody who, who, you know, his trademark was talking out of his butt or, or that kind of comedy. Even that wasn't enough to like stop audiences from like just wanting more and more of this actor. Yeah. And then he hosted uh, SNL, had a really famous SNL episode right there in the mid to late 90s. So Jim Carrey just absolutely skyrocketed. Although I do have to point out the irony. I've always loved this slash hated this, that In Living Color was produced as a show to uh, to highlight black artists and black writers and black comedians. And the one guy who became the standout was the token white guy. Well, I forgot who said this, but somebody made that point and then made the, the, the converse point. I think that's not the right term that SNL, which was largely a Caucasian cast, their their biggest star was Eddie Murphy. So there you go. I never thought about that. But yeah. So but I never thought Jim Carrey was the best on In Living Color. I love Damon Wayans. I was as shocked as anybody that he became a movie star. But he did. And then what became interesting is that people noticed, hey, there was this old movie from 1985 called Once Bitten that Jim Carrey was in. And all of a sudden, Jim Carrey refused to talk about it. He disavowed any knowledge or any memory of this movie ever. He would never talk about it in interviews. He hated it. And it was like, wow, he had a movie 10 years before he became popular. Nobody knew who he was back then. And the crime is, is like going back and watching this, like, you know, there's kind of like a perception of like you could I think you could you could you categorize this or at least I did when I was younger. as like a teen sex comedy because, you know, the, the main plot is around sex and, you know, um, but going back and rewatching it, um, I don't like he's good in it. Um, I think Lauren Hutton and Cleavon Little, their pairing together is really solid. I think Karen Coppins is adorable. I think that his two buddies are are, are lame. Uh, they're, they're not particularly funny, but like, it's not like he, it's nothing to be ashamed of, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, and it's not as gratuitous as I remember it as when I saw it as a little kid, you remember things differently. Um, but I don't even know there's any actual nudity in this movie. So, uh, like give it, a, give it, give it, uh, some respect, uh, Mr. Carey is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's certainly not one I would be embarrassed by. And I would agree. There's a lot of talent in this movie for a silly 80s comedy. And again, we're not talking about one of the funniest movies of all time here, but I think this is one of the most likable comedies of the 80s. I don't think that's really a, too much of a stretch. Like, it seems like everyone's doing a good job. Like, there's a lot of talent. The dance scenes are good. There's a really good soundtrack. I always kind of forget the soundtrack of this movie is good. Like, this one, it's not like a top-tier 80s movie, but I would say it's definitely a second-tier 80s comedy, and it's a shame that it never really gets credit for that, because I have like loved it for years. I watched it again this afternoon. I still love it. There's some things I, I see in there that I still love about it after seeing it you know, dozens of times. It's, it's not dumbly done. And maybe that, and the, what I'm going to use as an example is one of the early scenes where you, where you first meet uh, Mark and Robin, and they're in his ice cream truck, and he's trying to put the moves on her, and she's just not ready. And he ends up like leaving the ice cream truck, and he's surrounded by these cars where everybody is is um, uh, making a moray, uh, as it were. In the in the background, there's an oil derrick, which is like the classic like 
having intercourse kind of uh, thing you, you point like, you know, it's it's the train going through a tunnel and then it's the oil derrick is like the, the stock footage representation for uh, making a moray. And I was like, that's like that, like that's it would be easy to have shot that scene without that. But they didn't. They went to the effort to do that. So, like, like I said, it, it's not lazily done. It's not poorly done. Like it, it's it definitely has its moments. Yeah, there's there's pros and cons with this movie. I'm going to give a pro and then I'll give a very big con. And there's one that hangs over this movie for a modern audience. I'll say it in a second. But I will tell you, as a comedy writer myself, there's little things in movies that make me laugh because they don't really have to be there. There's just little comedic moments that some writer thought would be funny. And Once Bitten has one of my favorites. And it's towards the end of the movie. There's a big chase. All these vampires are chasing Jim Carrey and his girlfriend through this mansion. And Jim Carrey and his girlfriend will run through the door. And then the vampires will smash through the door and run through it afterwards because they are vampires. And they do this like four times. And at the last door, the vampire is going to smash the door. And the countess who owns the house is like, stop. She's like, why do you smash the doors? Why don't you just turn the knob? I have to pay for every goddamn door you guys break. And the, the vampire just sheepishly reaches down, turns the knob, and it opens. And he kind of looks at her and shrugs. And I'm like, there's no reason for that to be in the movie. But as a comedy writer, that makes me laugh because it doesn't have to be there. I literally have that in my notes of that. Like I, like, like I said, I remember I didn't uh, – uh, when I was younger, my, my parents were the kind of parents that would let me watch any movie they watched. So, like, at a young age, I saw – this I saw Porky's. I saw all kinds of. Maybe that explains how it turned out the way it did. Uh, but I remember watching this as a kid and not understanding a lot of it. But for some reason, especially for someone with a terrible memory like me, I remember what my parents laughed at. Uh, like the, the sex stuff, I didn't get that. I got. I remember thinking that was funny. I remember my parents thinking that was funny. Um, so yeah, like there, there's just all kinds of like really, really solid moments like that in there. Okay, and let's talk about the one thing that hangs over this movie. And unfortunately, this is the problem with recommending 80s movies to a modern audience is some of the language. And the one, obviously, is the F word in this one. And I'm not talking about the intercourse F word. I'm talking about the gay F word. It gets thrown around very liberally. And that was the way that people talked in the 80s. The scene that I'm talking about, well, the shower scene would not have been out of place in almost any 80s comedy, but people may have a problem with it now, and I think we'll address that when we get there. But my only defense is it's an 80s movie. That's just what 80s movies were like. I think you need to watch a movie like this kind of through a lens of, you know, we people just didn't know better at the time. Um, you know, it, and it's interesting to, you know, it, if, I'm, if I were watching a movie that was made today and somebody used the F word to refer to homosexual, that would affect you know, the whole, like, obviously this person is not somebody to be admired. Um, whereas when you have people that are supposed to be our heroes using it, it, it is tough to kind of separate the two. So I, I guess the, the hope would be that, you know, it was a different time. It doesn't make it okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's I actually, in my notes, I have that. Um, I didn't even write it in my notes. I have F dash dash S just because I'm not even comfortable writing that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have transphobia and I wish I had elaborated because I don't remember exactly where it took place. Maybe I know is where it, it is. It's in the, is it in this in the bar with the the phones? Yeah, it's with the dude. The dude that he, they call up on the phone. That's right. So yeah, like it's it's not good, um, it, but it is. You know, it's there, man. And and like you know, I, I'm somebody for having conversations about that. Like if if I were to show this to my child, and you know, that'll be a very special day when uh, I sit <laughs> Junior down. And show, some 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 guys are like, I can't wait to show my kids Star Wars. No, I would someday I'll sit Junior down and be like, we're gonna watch Once Bitten, 
And there are some words in here that are, are not appropriate. I'm going to tell you why. So, um, go, you know, go into it uh, through that filtering and you should be OK. And if you're watching it with young children and don't don't watch it with young children, um, explain to them why we do not use those words. Yes. And also why we do not bite buttons off shirts. <laughs> why we don't bite buttons off shirts. That was great. For, like I said, I saw this when I was a little kid. That was very confusing. I thought that's what sex was. When a man loves a woman. Or, or vice versa, they bite each other's buttons off. Man, when I was a teenager, I ripped so many buttons off my own shirts. <laughs> your mom's banging on the bathroom door. Are you in there biting buttons off your shirt? I have to sew all those on. <laughs> well, okay. To follow up on the, the, the F homophobic word there, that the director was even asked about, or it's not the director, the writer, the guy who wrote this movie, they're asked, why did you have that scene in the shower where they're screaming the F word? And the guy's like, well, I'm not trying to make a point. That's just something that really happened to me once in high school. He's like, that's that's word for word the exact scene that happened to a friend of mine in high school in the, in the shower once. I just thought it'd be funny. So that's why it's in the movie. Yeah. And the thing is, is like the the idea of that scene is funny, right? Uh -huh. So if you haven't seen it, um, the 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 countess when she gets the blood from Mark, she has to bite him uh, in his upper thigh, as you do. Um, so uh, Karen realizes what's going on. She asks the guy her his guy buddies to find out if he's been bitten so the whole point is they're trying to look for bites and you know that that i i think if you take that there is a way to there'd be a way to do that scene today and 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 honestly um the way they did it was with, with the f word is is obviously inappropriate today but it didn't seem like the, uh mark's character once he kind of had a heart to heart with the guys mm -hmm. It wasn't like he was like, ooh, gross. He was like, why didn't you tell me? Which is probably more open than I would have expected in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. I, I personally don't have a problem with that scene. I don't find it mean-spirited or out of place at all. But I, I can see with a modern audience, they may not like that one. But personally, I think it works in the scene, in the movie, and it's not gratuitous. It's there for a purpose. And the, the scene is funny the way it is. It's not mean-spirited. Just watch your F-words, guys. Come on. It's just It's just shower room shenanigans. That's all it is. Yeah, that's totally appropriate, right? Okay. So, here we go. Do you want to walk through the plot of this movie for people? Let's do it. All right. So, again, this is the movie that was way before Jim Carrey became famous, and it was really kind of funny in a way because when Jim Carrey made Ace Ventura, they were like, oh, this guy came out of nowhere. This guy's a star. He just came, drove down from Canada, lived in a van, in a bus with his family. He became a big star. But that's not the reality. Jim Carrey had been toiling around in Hollywood for like 10 years. He was an impressionist. He opened for Rodney Dangerfield. He was very well known. And then he made this movie. And I think Once Bitten was like his first or second try at being a star. And In Living Color was like his fifth. Like it took him forever to become a star. I think there was even maybe a second movie called like Rubber Face or something like that. Because, <laughs> something. Cause, yeah, because there, there, there's always the thing like when somebody – becomes famous like you know back in the day you used to have to buy movies on these discs called dvds uh like they would end up like in the dollar bin and it would be like a, like i think adam sandler had something similar that once uh happy gilmore and billy madison had become big like his the, like you know the movies that he might have had a bit part in became you know available with like his face plastered on them i think there might have been a second one for jim carrey but i don't recall exactly what it was hmm. okay i'll have to research that i don't know that but yeah, and that's what I was getting at, is that when you see this movie, you see some future Jim Carrey mannerisms. That's one thing I want to point out. You can see him on the evolution of becoming the Jim Carrey we know. Although he's just a normal, goofy, dorky teenager, there's about three scenes in this movie, he's like, he becomes Jim Carrey. You're like, ah, we're going to see that in the future. It's kind of cool. 
All right. So that being said, we will talk through Once Bitten 1985 movie. And again, Lauren Hutton was the big star here. She was a model, very famous international supermodel, mostly known for having a gap between her teeth. Her front two teeth had a gap, and it was very... That was not the norm for models, but because she was so good looking, it became a big thing. That became her trademark. And then she eventually tried to branch out and become an actress. This was one of her big movies. I think she's also an American gigolo with uh, Richard Gere. But at the time, this movie was the Lauren Hutton vampire movie. And now it's the Jim Carrey vampire movie. So that's the one thing to keep it in context. And uh, so I assume that this the space in the teeth is similar to the uh, the mole that Cindy Crawford had, like the, the, the imperfection that makes her perfect. Yes. Beauty spot, we call it. There you go. Okay, so the movie starts, and this is, again, Lauren Hutton plays a vampire. She is 400 or something years old, called the Countess, and she lives in a mansion in Beverly Hills with a bunch of vampire lackeys in her basement, all these people she's turned into vampires over the years. And she's got a sidekick who's one of my favorite characters in this movie called Sebastian, who is a African-American butler played by Cleavon Little, who you may know from uh, Blazing Saddles as the sheriff and the opening scene, which I love is just her getting ready for the day with Sebastian staging the entire house for her. Yeah. So when the countess wakes up, she's wearing workout gear. <laughs> yeah. Like she, she, she sleeps in her workout. And Hey, if you have trouble getting up in the morning and doing that morning workout, maybe that's the way to go. Uh, sleeping your workout gear. She, she comes right out of the coffin, hops right on a, is it a treadmill or a bicycle or something like that? Yeah, it's her exercise bike. That's the first thing she does in the morning. And she is legitimately hot. Lauren Hutton at her peak is legitimately beautiful and hot. And you will see Mark's uh, struggle later in the movie to try to resist her. And uh, what is, yeah, we see her little lackey. She's got like a pirate lackey and a Civil War soldier. It's like all these people she has turned into vampires over the years are now her servants and they live in her basement. So this is her little lair. And what else happens here? We just basically meet the whole crew, right? Right. What's interesting about her lackeys is they don't age, and neither do their clothing. Like, they are, like the Civil War guy is dressed up like a Civil War guy. Like, you would think over the years, because clearly she has newer clothes. She's not wearing 400-year-old workout gear. She's got, like, the, you know, the, 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 the flash dance costume on. But, yeah. <laughs> and we find out the mythology in this movie is that vampires must feed is it every year? Do they actually explain that? But it's like on Halloween, every year they must feed. They must find the blood of a virgin and drink from it three times, and then they have immortal youth, correct? Correct. I don't know if it's every year, uh, but it, it is by midnight on Halloween, she has to feed off the blood of a virgin. And herein lies the drama in the movie, is that this is 1980s Southern California, and there are no virgins anymore, because all kids have sex way too young nowadays. So she says that being a, a vampire in the 20th century is a nightmare, and she basically has sent all her lackeys, find me a virgin, I cannot find virgins anymore, I'm going to turn old, you all lose your protection. And so that's the plot of the movie. She sends all her little minions out, and this is where they're going to find the star of our movie, Mark Kendall. Yes. Uh, do we meet up with Mark in his ice cream truck uh, trying to put the moves on his girlfriend, Robin, who is resisting him? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to point this out. This is another one of my favorite 80s movie tropes, and it's especially prominent in this movie and another one. Let's see if you can guess it later. But where the lead character drives a car that's really stupid. And I love this one because Mark is an ice cream vendor during his spare time. So he drives the ice cream truck as his vehicle. Now, there's another 80s comedy where the lead character drives a school bus as his main vehicle. Do you know what that, that would be off the top of your head? No, a school bus. 
Uh, no. Okay, it's one of my more obscure favorites. I've done it on staff picks. I'm talking Bachelor Party with Tom Hanks. Okay, I've definitely seen that. I do not remember that yeah, twist. He drives a school bus. That's his vehicle. And I just love that in 80s movies that they have goofy stuff. So, yeah, we meet Mark and Robin in his ice cream truck, and we find out it's very hard to make out in an ice cream truck. Right. Um, and all the other people around him are not having this problem. There's there's somebody in an open air, a, a convertible with the top down getting it on like robin and, and th this this problem is exclusive to poor mark and robin they just can't make it happen <laughs> and robin robin never gets mentioned in this movie her name is uh the actress's name was karen copens i believe i think that's how to pronounce it and i looked her up i actually did the research she was miss connecticut back in 1977 and then she came to hollywood to become an actress very well-known actress and dancer she had a very prominent dancing background which we will see later in the movie but she kind of dropped out of Hollywood after this movie. But I love her in this movie. I think she's so funny. I love her. Like, not to jump too far ahead, but the, the, the end scene where, where she's like, you know, Mark doesn't want to be with you. You're mean and evil. And he likes me because I'm cute and nice. So F off. Like, that's a, that's a, like a, that's a line. And she knocked it out of the park. Yeah, she's great. And she, again, she retired from Hollywood and she never gets mentioned in this movie. But I think she is as good as Jim Carrey. I think she's as good as Lauren Hutton. And she gets never get mentioned. Although I was reading some trivia on this movie today that when they originally had the poster, it was just Jim Carrey and Lauren Hutton. And Karen Copens as Robin, the girlfriend, tested so well with the studio, with the test audiences that at the last minute they put her on the poster as well, just because she they knew she'd be a star. Yeah, she's got a real... Aaron Gray kind of quality to her. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Gray from Buck Rogers and Silver Spoons, if you don't know who that is. The the quintessential hottest actress of the 80s, most people would agree. And Karen Copens looks a lot like her. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Silver Spoons, but yeah. But I was like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Battlestar Goliath or something. People are going to make fun of me. Did I say Buck Rogers? I think I got it wrong. Which is it? You said Buck Rogers. Is it Battlestar? Oh, damn it. I don't know my sci-fi. So my, my army of nerds is going yelling at my podcast right now because I don't know this. Let's, let's just say she was only in Silver Spoons and then in Friday the 13th Part 9, and that was it. <laughs> That's a yeah, steep cut. She, she was, was – what was she, Jason's – aunt or something sister or niece nephew i don't yeah not nephew but yeah she was in a random aaron gray appearance in friday the 13th part nine jason goes to hell yeah oh my goodness i saw that in the theater <laughs> i did too i'm so embarrassed by that by the way and that i am not and that was pre-internet so when freddie's hand came out of the ground no i wasn't spoiled man i was blown away i was giddy Okay, so Karen Copens and Jim Carrey are the couple, and he wants to have sex, but she will not. And he's a very nice guy. He's kind of dorky and not awkward, and she's hot, and but she's very sweet. And she says, you know, I want to have sex. I'm just not ready. And we find out they've been dating for like six years or something like that. Yeah, there, that was – was that was it six years? Something along those lines. It, it is very interesting. Like, like I said before, like this is an 80s sex comedy, teen sex comedy in that way that like – those people felt pressure like I did not know actually existed because, you know, they, they, there's like we all have to have sex before prom or we're losers. I don't want to go to college without having sex, but like all that stuff. And this is maybe maybe this is the one to start off that trope. Cause I'm trying to remember one that had it beforehand. But, um, yes, it's, it's very important, very important to Mark that he, he loses virginity. It's, it's, it's weighing on him heavily, heavily. It's very stressful. Yeah. And what's interesting is this movie handles sex very interestingly much differently than other 80s comedies where, you know, 
sex is either the biggest thing in the world or it's like the worst thing in the world and girls are trying to stay away from it. It's interesting how they resolve the sex issue in this movie. I, I always found that fascinating. Yeah, that's that's something I did not understand when I was a kid. But as an adult, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, yeah, so Mark wants to do it. Robin doesn't want to do it. He's very frustrated. He's blue ball, but he's a nice guy. He's not going to pressure her. So we get the scene that uh, Gordon talked about earlier where Mark goes out of the – they're like at a drive-in, and he can't score with Robin. He goes out, and he, in the parking lot, he just kind of moans like, ah, and all around him is every other car bouncing up and down with couples having sex. And then, like Gordon said, the visual joke of the oil derrick in the background also going up and down. So Mark is being mocked by everybody. Love it. Oil Derrick, rocket taking off, train going through a tunnel. I'm surprised we had no fireworks. Yeah, no fireworks. Come on, guys. Okay, so we find out the next day that Mark has two buddies, and I always forget their names, so I had to write them down. They are Russ and Jamie, and they are your quintessential horny 80s buddies encouraging him to have sex. And I don't have a lot to say about them because I don't think they're especially strong, but they are very 80s characters, would you say? What I, yes, exactly. Um, very 80s characters. Um, as, as the one at one point wears a freelance gynecologist shirt, as you do. Uh, what I found interesting about them is usually in this kind of movie, I feel like your lead guy almost has to be a little bland so people can see themselves in them. They can project their, their themselves onto them. And then the buddies tend to get the better lines, mm -hmm. tend to be the more entertaining characters. This is like the opposite. Like Jim Carrey is Jim Carrey. Like he's just... A, He's just like a fountain of charisma, this guy. And Jamie and Russ do nothing for me. I don't think they say, I don't think I laughed at a single thing they said. They were annoying. Uh, they got to do all, they, they were the, the, they got to have the, the transphobic lines, which uh, did not age well. Um, yeah, just like really, I, like, I, I know they're there for a reason, but like I could have done without them. Like they, I, I don't, I, I, I hope skip lackey and thomas bellator aren't listening to this and are gonna i'm gonna hear about it on twitter um but like not 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 their best stuff these guys unfortunately skip lackey is one of my patrons so thank you oh no sorry skip <laughs> what a great name for a sidekick <laughs> skip lackey that's got to be a stage a stage name there's no way his real name is skip lackey right yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah so now in the theater these guys would have got all the laughs i don't think they really hold up very well but yeah like you said it's really funny that jim carrey far more charisma far more charm although he's supposed to be the everyman and i just love the irony there that in 1985 they were casting a movie they need an everyman teenager to represent every single person watching and they figured the most normal person they could cast was jim carrey jim carrey <laughs> yeah love it <laughs> oh was Nicolas cage not available right <laughs> So, so anyway, the next day, yeah, the friends are trying to console Mark. They're like, you know, you need to have sex. You know, you if you go to college, the people will think you're a weirdo, a loser. And so they talk him into a wonderful plan. Let's just go out to Hollywood and pick up a strange woman at the bar. That'll get you laid. And Mark's like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> and it almost worked. It was a different time, the 80s. It was a, it was a very different time. As, as as you can tell by the, the, the goings on on the street when they go out. Uh, never before, like you would think they had gone to Oz. There was so much wackiness happening on the street. You've got uh, a woman walking a lion, as you would walk a dog. Uh, there's also a late night bikini photo shoot just on the street. Um, it is an exciting time to be a teenager in Los Angeles. If you ever wondered why people grew up in the suburbs or in the Midwest or whatever, and they wanted to move to Los Angeles because it looks exciting, 
watch this montage and once bitten of them driving down the Hollywood strip. Yeah, the woman in the like $8,000 silver outfit walking a lion on a chain down the street. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the kind of image of Hollywood we were given. Wow, look at all the exciting weirdos at this place. Let's move there. And this, I, I actually, I really love this montage. And I think the song Once Bitten plays here. I just think this is a really neat scene when they're driving around and just their eyes are all agog at all these amazing things that they're, they're way over their head out here. Yeah, and talk about going above and beyond. Like, like I think you could be real lazy with a movie like this. But like I said, like the oil derricks, they got a lion. Like, there's like legitimately an actress walking a a, a real lion. So, uh, kudos guys for going above and beyond in that in that sense. Did you did uh, did you pick up the really really random obscure cameo here in this movie? I never noticed until today. I I I did. I did my homework about a week ago. And had to pause and then jump on IMDb, where he is not listed, and had to do some research to find out that the valet, uh, that where he's, they're trying to park their ice cream truck, is indeed Quantum Leap star Dean Stockwell. Yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, how have I never noticed that's that's uh, Al from Quantum Leap before? Yeah, it, like, it was two seconds, man. And, like, like granted, he, was, he wasn't a big star back then, so they didn't need to give him more. But just, like, wait! <laughs> Rewind! Pause! What's going on? He wasn't even holding Gushy. I don't even know what was going on. I know. I didn't recognize him unless he's holding his, his little pre-iPad. <laughs> so they're, they're driving through Hollywood. Of course, in Mark's ice cream truck, which I love. them just cruising the Hollywood Strip in his dorky ice cream truck. And they stop at the hackiest dating bar you have ever seen in your life called Phone-A-Date. Duh, I disagree. <laughs> All right. That is, a, that is like the precursor to Tinder, man. Look at that. You see someone you like. It's the swiping. I don't know dating apps, swipe left or swipe right. You pick up your phone and give them a call. That's the future. All right. To to back up the point the esteemed Mr. Holmes has made, uh, phone-a-date is a bar where everybody's sitting at a table with a phone on their table shaped like a pair of lips, and there's a big number coming out of the top of it. So you can look around the bar, see anybody you like, and call them. So it is kind of the precursor to Tinder. I, I will. Your point stands. Let's see. Thank you. And again, I didn't. I, I made notes. I didn't. I didn't flesh them out as well as I should. I just have written. Maybe help me out here because you just watched it. Studs are us. Why did I write that? Because when Russ answers the phone, that's how he. Some girl calls their table, and Russ answers it. Studs are us. Oh man, I'm gonna steal that. That's gonna <laughs> yes. going forward. <laughs> that, that's my new voicemail on my work phone. I'm gonna put that there. Studs are us. So yeah, so the first thing is they get called by this, uh, turns out to be a guy dressed as a girl. We get the transphobic scene where Russ goes over there, goes, ew, it's a tranny. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, perhaps that scene doesn't age well, but that's a minor nitpick. That's only part of this scene. Yeah, and that, that was a, a very popular joke back in the day, is, is when a, a guy would get approached by a woman. Sometimes you just see the back of their head and then turn around and it's a man and it's hilarious. If, if you're familiar with the rap stylings of Tone Loke, um, I believe half of his songs involve uh, of someone putting the booze on him and it turns out to be a guy and he gets all mad. Um, so, again, like, it, it, you know, not cool, but like very common at that time. Yeah. And it's it's an innocent little moment that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Because now we will get the meat of the movie where Mark is going to picked up be picked up by the Countess. 
So apparently all through their journey, their sojourn through Los Angeles, her, her minions have been out looking around for virgins. They spot this guy driving an ice cream truck to phone a date, and they're like, he's probably a virgin. <laughs> so they have summoned the countess, and now she's sitting at the bar, and she calls Mark over. Yeah, and it, what's interesting is, like, they were like, well, clearly this guy is a virgin. Uh, he drives an ice cream truck. But, like, his buddies are so much worse than he is <laughs> as far as, like, if you if you lined those three up to, in front of me and said, you know, what's the most likely virgin? Sorry, Skip Lackey. Um, <laughs> it's you, buddy. Yeah, how are those two not virgins? I don't get this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, do we know for a fact that they are, that they have had had relations? Or are we just assuming? Yeah, there's a scene earlier in the Clown Burger where they're talking about how they, they'll have to have special dorms for us in college because we're all virgins. So they all insinuate they're all virgins, I believe. Or no, is, that's an American pie, isn't it? <laughs> uh, it's actually very true. In the 80s, they did have very they had special uh, dorms for virgins. So that, that, that part is very accurate. I think I stole that line from American Pie. Now I don't think it's in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the point stands. They had special dorms. It was true true in the late 90s as well. They yeah. Fixed it. You're either in the banging or the non-banging section. Right, yes. So the Countess comes over, and this is Lauren Hutton, all completely dressed up, looking super hot, really low-cut dress, and she calls Mark over, and he's he's so completely out of his league. And I love she's trying to make small talk with him, and he just cannot. And there's one line that I circled here, because this has made me laugh ever since I saw it in the 90s for the first time. Where he's like, what's your name? And she's like, just call me Countess. And Mark has no, no idea how to respond to that. So he says, oh, Countess, wow, that's great. I had a dog named King once. <laughs> <laughs> I just love how awkward that line is. We also have to talk about, like you said, Lauren, Lauren Hutton likes her, her low cut attire. Like, honestly, this movie should have had like a sponsorship from double sided tape um, <laughs> with like the depths to which those necklines would plunge. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of Lauren Hutton in this to the point that you, Gordon, said there's not actually an nudity, although we do see a painting of her nude. So there is a yeah. painting of nudity. But, yeah, you see as much of her breasts as you can see without actually seeing them. The, the the gap in her teeth was only matched by the gap in her top. Yes. And poor Mark here, as he's trying to have small talk with this woman, is just staring right at her breast the entire time. So she knows she has a pretty good uh, uh, piece of prey here. Yeah, maybe that's how they knew that he was a virgin. He's like, oh, OK, he can't he can't keep his eyes on my eyes. So we got we got a live one here, guys. Yeah. So she asks how old he is. He says he's 21. She says, I'm older than you think. Even though she looks like she's in her 30s, she's easily 400, but still, she's very hot. So anyway, there's a big scuffle in the bar. Some people fight, blah, blah. We'll skip over that. And in the Malay, uh, the Countess drags Mark out to the back into her limo, and they go back to her mansion. Right. Uh, one quick thing. He says he's 21, but he can pass for 18. I'm assuming he actually is 18 because he's still in high school. That's my guess, but it also makes me wonder how he owns his own ice cream truck. Well, later on, he, he, I think he actually says he's a teenager. I didn't, I didn't do a very good note on that one. I, I have – Carrie says he's 21 but can pass for 18, later says he's a teenager. He obviously – he still lives at home with his parents. Okay. Um, and he still attends a high school. So in the United States, that says 18. Okay. Cool. That, that makes sense because, A, we see him at a high school many times in this movie. I guess I should have put two and two together. And then later when he tells her what he does for a living, what he studies in school, his story doesn't make sense at all. I just realized right now, oh, he's in high school. He just lied. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for you. You've opened my eyes to the true nature of this movie. I know you're going to see it with new eyes next time. 
Okay, so so she drags him back to her mansion, and again, she must feast on the blood of a virgin three times to stay eternally young. So she takes him back to her mansion, and we get the wonderful seduction scene where she's going to be all over him. But again, just little quotes in this movie. I'll just as a, as a comedy writer, there's little things that I always love where he says he's so nervous. He's like, I have to ask you something. And she's like, what? And she's concerned. Do you, do you have to go? And he's like, are you a prostitute? And she's very reassuring. She's like, I'm whatever you want me to be. And he's so relieved. He's like, good, because I only have five dollars. <laughs> for some reason, my ear for comedy dialogue has always loved that line because it's such an awkward line. You know, when, when she said, I'm whatever you want, want me to be, that sounds like something a prostitute would say. <laughs> That's true. If, if he wants to give you the five dollars, she's going to take it. Yeah. I mean, not that I have experience knowing what prostitutes say, but I like whenever I see them in movies, that's the kind of stuff they say. Yes. So, and, and Mark is such a dork. He can't believe this gorgeous, smoking hot woman who's not a hooker has come on to him and brought him home. And he knows he's going to get laid here. And he's just sitting there on the couch, and he's all nervous and bouncy as she goes upstairs and gets all made up. And this is where he sees the nude painting of her. And, of course, what's his first instinct? What does he do to the painting? Oh, doesn't I don't recall. He, he touches the boob. Oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> right for the as, as hey, as as I'm sure we're all guilty of. <laughs> yes. Although there's a another line here now. The butler, Sebastian. I guess we got to talk about. Are you are you a Sebastian fan? I am a, such a Sebastian fan. I, the one thing I wanted to make sure we did not gloss over, and one of my favorite parts of the movie is like the cheerful disdain Sebastian has for Mark is so funny. <laughs> Because, like, Sebastian, he's a classy guy. He lives in this mansion. He takes care of his countess. And to, to see this moron in the nicest way, like, just the way he, like, humors him, like, with his ice cream truck and uh, and stuff like that, it's it's just delightful, like, the disdain he has for, for him. So, like, uh, and, and honestly, the, the, the relationship between Sebastian and the countess is adorable. Like, they, like the, you know, he he's, I assume, one of her minions or her caretaker or whatever, but, like, there seems to be, like, a genuine... Um, emotional bond between the two that is is actually you know obviously she's the villain but you have a lot of sympathy for her and him just because like they're so likable yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i i love sebastian in this and he now sebastian's kind of a gay stereotype that's one criticism you see of this movie but he's played by an actor named Cleavon little who was gay and Cleavon little is most known for blazing saddles but i think he's equally funny in this maybe even funnier than this but I just love his little lines. And like you said, the little looks he gives to Mark and his cute little interplay with the Countess where they're, like, making meowing noises at each other. He's really funny. Yeah, he's fantastic. Like, I, I, the two of them together, like, I just adore him. <laughs> and there's the line here where he's in her closet trying on all her scarves. And she's like, Sebastian, come out of the closet. And he's like, I came out of the closet centuries ago. <laughs> but said in a very deadpan Cleavon little way. I just, I think he's really maybe the low key MVP of this movie. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. So uh, she gets all made up and she's going to go feast on her virgin. She goes downstairs and like, she's smoking hot in this black negligee and she's like all over him. And Mark is just trying to make small talk, <laughs> which what he says, he says, I'm an electrical engineer in college. I'm studying the acid rain problem, which makes no <laughs> sense. Acid rain, boy, that that dates it. <laughs> yeah, she's like, I love intelligent men. And he thinks about it for a second. He's like, yeah, I suppose they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
little little things in this movie that I've always loved. And then she's like kissing him all over and straddling him. And he's just trying to talk. He's just doing the stream of consciousness talk. And she has a signature move when she's going to feast on her virgin. She'll start on his neck and kiss him. And then she starts... Well, the the technical phrase in the movie, the biting of the buttons, the signature move here. That gives me such anxiety. Like the thought of having to retrieve all these buttons and then re-adhere them to my shirt. <laughs> uh, like, like you're, you're right. She is a beautiful woman. It's a very hot scene. But like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, maybe if I could, if Sebastian could take care of that for me, then I'd be, then I'd be on board. But like, come on. So it turns out the, the countess is a bad person, that she just spits buttons wantonly and makes everybody else clean them up. It's a tripping hazard. It's a, I have all, I have all sorts of issues with the seduction technique. <laughs> yeah. So she starts at his top button. She bites it off, spits it, goes down to the next one, bites it off, spits it while looking in his eye. It's like her little seduction move. And this will be a running joke in the movie because she'll do it three different times. And Mark knows when the buttons are coming off, all hell's about to break loose. But she, <laughs> she eventually makes it down to his crotch, even though he has blocked it with a pillow. She just moves it aside. And we don't actually see what happens here, but the implication is she bites him on his thigh right next to his testicle because that's where their blood is the purest. I think that's actually a thing in vampire lore as well. I don't think that that was like a comedy bit for this movie. So so this this is based on a novel, very historical, accurate knowledge. Yes, it's, it's William Shakespeare's Once Bitten uh, is what it's based on. <laughs> yes. Although, there's another line here which feels like an ad lib, which I've always loved. Just little Jim Carrey things. You could see why he would be a big star later, that he's just supposed to do stream of consciousness while this beautiful woman is now right next to his testicles about to bite him. And he's, a, he's, he's commenting on her mansion. He's like, wow, my mom would love this place. I have a picture of her down in my wallet. You, you know, you might want to take a look at it as long as you're down there. <laughs> So anyway, she bites him. He screams, ow, and that's the end of the scene. We don't get that's 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 all that happens. And and obviously and clearly, like, no intercourse happened, although he thinks it did, uh, because if it had happened, he would no longer be a virgin and then his blood would no longer be good. Correct. There's a loophole in her plan. Right. So it, it, it relies on him passing out. Yeah, she's got some kind of spell she can cast on them after she drinks their blood where they lose their memory. There's some kind of roofie in her fangs that puts him right out. Yes. In the parlance of Arrested Development, she gives him a forget-me-now. Yes. So after she has feasted on him for the first time and drank his blood, she goes downstairs and she's with Sebastian. And they, they pick out his coffin that, she's, that Mark is going to join all her lackeys and he gets this special coffin in the middle of the room. That becomes important later. But from now on, he's destined to become one of her minions. She just needs to bite him on two, two more occasions after this. Correct. And he'll be, he'll be, and once he's a lackey, he'll be destined to wear 80s clothes for the next hundred years. <laughs> yes, he'll dress like a vampire forever. His 80s clothes. Well, that's that's something that because one of the things when when he becomes a he's becoming a vampire, he starts to wear black clothing. However, her other minions don't follow that same trope necessarily, do they? They don't, but they also did not have access to mall shopping courts. I'm sure. Oh, that's true. That's true. Like yeah, the Civil War uh, soldier couldn't just hop into Forever 21 and grab a. <laughs> Yes, they had one outfit back then. Forever 21 was my mall reference. That's all I have. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I, I, there, I'm sure there are Civil War black clothing in Forever 21, correct? <laughs> I, maybe back in the 80s. They had a special section in the back. Right. <laughs> all right, so 
So Mark wakes up the next morning. He's been feasted on. He thinks he's had sex, but he has not. And the Countess uh, tells Sebastian he was delicious. I haven't had I haven't had anything that pure since the Vienna Boys Choir hit town, which is a good line. And Sebastian has to come down and bring him the orange juice, which I'm sure you like this scene. Well, I think it's interesting that earlier um, they made some joke about we could get you a virgin, but it would be like a 14 year old. And she was like, that was where she drew the line. That's why I was a little surprised when she was talking about the Vienna's boys choir. Maybe I'm not as ah. up on my on my uh, choirs, but like I'm assuming there are boys in the Vienna's boys choir. So maybe maybe she had different uh, maybe she had different guidelines back in the day. So she's not quite as anti pedo as she likes to claim. Right. I, I'm going to pretend that there's a wing. Of the Vienna Boys Choir made up of 18-year-olds. <laughs> they're, they're 21, but they could pass for 18, just like Mark. Right. They have, like, a touring group once of, like, the retired boys, and that, that's what happened. Yes. So Sebastian has to come down and give this loser Mark his orange juice, and Sebastian drops the orange juice there, and he's I love the way he delivers this line. I'll just check on the gentleman's truck. Right. <laughs> it's that kind of disdain that I love from Oh, yeah, he's definitely, he might be the MVP of this whole movie. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so uh, Mark has to get up and leave the morning. And now he's he's afraid he's going to hurt this woman's feelings because he's had sex with her. And now he's going to leave and it's a one night stand. And he tries to let her down easy by saying, you know, I feel bad. I have a girlfriend. You know, I have a girlfriend back at home. I love her. And the countess is like, oh, that's fine. I've always been the other woman. And he's like, oh, that's real nice of you. Real unselfish. Thank you. <laughs> And so Mark leaves, and uh, uh, on his way out the door, he gives them the one thing that Mark Kendall can offer to people, a free ice cream as thank you. He also says later blood to uh, <laughs> Sebastian, which I was I was not comfortable with that either. <laughs> yes. Sebastian, perhaps for good reason not to like Mark. Yeah, later blood, and Sebastian just stares at him, and they do the most awkward little high five. <laughs> If you think about it, like if this movie came out today between the F word in the shower, the transphobia, the later blood and the fact that like he willfully cheats on his girlfriend. I, I uh, Mark is a bad guy in, in, in 2020. Mark is a heel. <laughs> it's a good thing we have the 80s. We have these historical documents from the 80s. It was, it was a different time back then. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what they keep the, the, in the. Yeah. That's what they keep saying. It was a different time. Uh yeah, this would be the the you know how they when they redid uh, Overboard they swapped the genders so it would be less creepy. Uh -huh. it, what the once bitten reboot might need to to look into that as well. Wait a minute, so you have vampires feasting after a virginal young girl and abducting her? I think that's more creepy. Yeah, that might be more creepy. Never mind. <laughs> yes. Okay, so the next day at school, Mark goes to school and he's talking to his buddies and he's explaining a story that this woman straddled him and bit off his buttons and uh, they're all talking about it and, uh-oh, right behind him is his girlfriend, Robin. She hears it. So all of a sudden, all hell's going to break loose because the girlfriend knows Mark was out with a weirdo in Hollywood last night. Yeah, and rightfully so because she's like, did you sleep with another woman? And he's basically like, I don't know. Like, wrong answer, Mark. So she, she, so yes, Robin is rightfully pissed off. Yeah, and she, she dumps him here. I think this is the first time they're going to make up later, but she dumps him. She's like, you know, we put six years of this relationship in, and you know, I, I held out for you, I loved you, I thought you were someone different, Mark Kendall. And she gives him his ring, and they break up, and this will be a long, slow descent into madness for poor Mark. Yeah, serves him right though. Like the. 
this whole plan was was messed from the get-go so he got what he deserved although technically he did not have sex so i guess that was yeah but he, he, you know there, there's there's a, an idea that like anything you are you wouldn't tell your significant other is cheating uh-huh. so in that sense I, I think they definitely have him on a technicality yeah there was an attempt to have sex yeah, yes there was an attempt All right. i am team robin i'm always team robin in this movie She's oh yeah 100 cool. percent team robin okay let's talk about some of the other underrated mvps of this movie mark's parents yes um and that was like i told you i seen it when i was smaller and then watching it again as an adult like i when i was so when I was a kid there's a whole scene where mark uh accidentally he thinks he's drinking juice he drinks uh the blood off of uh, a beefsteak or something like that i don't remember call exactly like that and it like which is dark uh but like yeah his parents uh you know with the exception of our, our sidekick buddies i feel like everybody um is doing a pretty solid job in this movie yeah, there's not really a weak link other than obviously the, the comic relief is not that strong, but the the dad here in particular, and and that's the thing with, as Mark gets bitten by the Countess, he starts slowly adopting the traits of a vampire, and the first one is his dad comes home from school one day, and Mark is sleeping in a trunk in his bedroom. <laughs> yes. And the dad is just befuddled. He's like, why do you sleep in your trunk now? And Mark's like, well, I was just tired. And the dad's like, you know, you pace around, you don't sleep anymore. Are you okay? And it's just this really awkward conversation. And, and I, mom thinks you should see a doctor. You're very pale. And the dad just doesn't know what's going on. It's just, I love the dad. He's only in two scenes in the movie, but he just is kind of befuddled by his son. Doesn't the mother have a line too about something like, I'm sick of sewing your buttons back on your shirt or something like that. Yes, that's in the drinking blood scene. That's later. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, I'm a huge fan of the Kendalls. So Mark is, he's lost his girlfriend. He's slowly turning into a vampire and he starts having dreams, these nightmares. And all the dreams are him hooking up with the countess and her not only kissing him, but also biting him and drinking his blood. So he realizes something, something bad may have happened here. Yeah. And those dreams are five star Jim Carrey. Like when he's pretending to be a vampire, specifically in the scene where I think he, he tries to bite Robin like, just look at his, like, his, you know, his face has extra muscles in it, apparently, that the rest of us don't have. And he really cranks it up to, like, 11 with, with the Jim Carreyisms. Okay, so here's Mark is going to go apologize to Robin again. And, he, you know, he's like, I didn't, I didn't have sex. You know, we just, I was drunk. I don't know what happened. And I forget, why did they, why did they get back together here? For some reason, he manages to convince her to get back together. What is his rationale? I think there, there's some guilt for her that she hasn't been, that they haven't had sex yet. It's, it's fuzzy. The script writer wanted a back, like, like in, in the real world, uh, Mark would have to do a lot more uh, work to, to, to get her trust back. But she's like, ah, we got to continue with this movie. So we're fine. <laughs> That is a good point. It is only a 90-minute movie, so we have to fast-forward through a lot of fights and tribulations here. There, there should have been a montage of him just profusely apologizing, bringing her flowers and like a million other things to, to win her trust back, but we don't have that kind of time. Yeah. Well, again, yeah, like you said, she thought it was her fault. She forgives him. Although, there's a scene here I really have to mention because it's, it's very prominent here. There's a moment right here in this scene where they get back together where Jim Carrey really pulls off something pretty impressive. And I was going to say, before he was a actor, he was a stand-up comedian. And what Jim Carrey was known for, a lot of people may not know this, he was an impressionist. He was known as one of the best impressionists in Hollywood. That was when he first came to Hollywood. And so for a minute here, 
that uh, he what he, he does a Robert De Niro impression, and it's so cool because it comes completely out of nowhere, and there's no reason for it to be in this movie. It's just that Jim Carrey could do these impressions, and it's where Robin says, "Look at your hair, Mark. You look like Jerry Lewis," and he says, "Oh, really? I thought I looked more like Robert De Niro," and he. He changes his face. It completely morphs into De Niro. It's the most amazing thing, and it just stops. It goes away. It's like, wow, that was kind of cool. Yeah, it, it, you could really see, you know, we talked about, like, you can really see what made Jim Carrey special in Little Flashes in this movie. And it, it's not written for him to do that. It's, it almost seems like he kind of just tried to work those things in there. When he had the opportunity to ham it up, like in those dream sequences, he really just cranked it up to 11. And that, that's a near impersonation. Another example of just like the hints of, of like what, what he was capable of. Yeah. And it's funny because I've, I've read interviews with people who worked with him on this movie. They knew he was talented. You could tell, but he was so nice and so sweet and humble. And they just knew he was on his way somewhere. And again, it would take 10 years for it to happen, but they're like, he was like the nicest guy to work with. They just loved working with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> I have nothing to do. You're going to dispute that? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, I should point out he is Canadian, and by law, you're supposed to be nice if you're Canadian, so perhaps it's not unexpected. Yeah, it's written in their constitution. <laughs> so so there we go. It's the Countess has her first bite, and Mark is back with Robin, and we find out now, you know, the Countess is 400 years old, and she's talking with Sebastian. She's like, it's so hard getting these virgins nowadays. She's like, in the old days, I could just swoop down on a shepherd or a peasant. She's like, it doesn't happen anymore. And she's sick of this bar hopping crap. She wants to go find Mark because his blood is so pure. She knows her, his, he's her only option. So they are going to invade suburbia, which we get the sense is the first time that's ever happened. Yeah. And, and again, it's just another case of like, this is so beneath Sebastian. Like he, he's such a class act. That, so to have to go to a mall, a Forever 21, perhaps, uh, he's, he's not pleased. <laughs> yeah, what is his line here? We are going into suburbia with bowling alleys, Arby's, chicken Mac nuggets. <laughs> Mac nuggets. <laughs> so they go to the mall where Robin works. Robin works in the clothing store and Mark is in there and the countess is going to abduct him in a dressing room. But I love this whole mall scene. Is, it, is this a favorite of yours here? Yeah. Although, um, is this the first time we noticed that she, that, that we noticed she doesn't have a reflection and it, it's kind of, Mark's first time to realize that, like, you know, everything isn't quite as it seems with, with that, that encounter he had uh, in her mansion. Yeah, this is the first time. That will happen in the dressing room. Right. And that's where that's where she, she makes her move and, and, and starts getting into it with Robin, like not liking Robin's taste and things. And as a, as a pro-Robin person, that's when I started to turn on the Countess a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll sum up the scene for people. So Robin is in the store. She sells clothing, the very hip, trendy clothing store. And there's a scene right at the start where Jim Carrey shows up and he's like standing behind her customer and doing Jim Carrey things, doing like shtick and making her laugh. And it's really, again, one of the few moments you see future Jim Carrey come out here. And then she's like, uh, He's like, I want to buy some new clothing. I want to buy all this black clothing. And she's like, why black? There's so many better colors. She's like, I just like black now. He goes into the dressing room to try it out. And the countess is waiting in there. And he didn't see her because there's no reflection of her. And this is where she's going to bite his buttons for the second time, locked in the dressing room. Yep. And I, I get the heebie-jeebies when you go for the buttons. Come on. That's a whole. It's like you're signing me up for sewing. No, thanks. 
The Countess corners him in the locker room. Robin's outside handing him clothes to try. The Countess is like, your girlfriend's taste is shit. I'm just going to throw all this crap out to your girlfriend. She's terrible. And she immediately moves for Mark. And Mark's first instinct is, please don't bite my buttons. <laughs> See, he gets where I'm coming from. Yeah. So she bites his buttons again, goes down, sucks the blood out of his thigh. And then, uh, but all throughout this, Mark has been talking to Robin and kind of ignoring the Countess. And this is where the Countess realizes that Robin has a little stronger hold on Mark than she expected. It's, this might be a problem. Right. This is where it, you realize where the, uh, the, 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 the central conflict is going to come from, which is going to lead us to the pre-Halloween hop. Yes. Okay. We're almost up to the awesome scene in the movie, but I should point out just so many little things about this movie that just make me laugh. I love the fact that anytime the Countess is mad in a scene, she will storm out of the room and push somebody over. <laughs> there's no reason for her to do that but we see it here she's mad because robin has a hold on mark so she storms out of the dressing room and shoves this old woman into a display for no reason we'll see that again at the pre-halloween hop i believe someone in a nun costume yes it's a dude in a nun costume that's right yeah and so the countess on talking about mark's girlfriend she's young and she's sweet and she's pissing me off <laughs> Which is kind of like a nice little uh, counterbalance to what she says later about, like, I'm nice, you're mean, F off. That's right. And I should point out there's a whole scene here where Mark's buddies are in the laundromat trying to pick up women, and I'm just skipping over it because I don't care about it. It's bad. Like, that, that's what I said. It's like they're, they're there to be comic relief in a movie that's already a comedy, and it's bad. Like there's And, and, and weirdly, they're putting the moves on these women – the one woman is not interested. The other woman's like, yeah, let's go for it. But she's too aggressive, I guess. Yeah. And they back off. It's just, it doesn't, none of that works for me. Like th those guys, sorry, Skip Lackey. I'm not, just wasn't feeling it. Yep. Sorry. Skip Lackey. I, I've lost his patron dollars now. So we're past uh, the. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. So now we get the scene you talked about earlier. Mark's home and they're getting ready for the vampire dance or the, the Halloween dance, I guess one would call it. And he's home, and his mom is draining blood out of a package of hamburger, and Mark accidentally drinks it, thinking it's orange juice, because he's a vampire. He chugs down this blood, and the parents are just aghast. And Mark goes out the door, and this is where you said the mom says, where are all your buttons? I have to keep putting your buttons. <laughs> That's right. It's so gross. Yeah. But the dad watches Mark drink the blood and walk out, and the dad just kind of deadpans, well, at least he's not anemic. <laughs> okay so mark is slowly turning into a vampire we see a scene of him some kids coming up and asking him for ice cream and he hisses at them and he's like oh my god what did i just do and his fangs have started to come out he's he's like uh he's he goes to a church to figure out something wrong with me that doesn't work just it's all sorts of shenanigans but now we're up to the famous halloween dance which again without question the centerpiece of this movie I love how it's called the pre-Halloween hop. Because if you are if you're having a dance around Halloween, you just call it the Halloween hop. But if you were making a movie where it's important that people know that it's not Halloween yet, <laughs> you would call it the pre-Halloween hop. It was funny. I was reading a contemporary review of this movie, and one of the reviewers was saying, I was confused knowing what day it was and when it was on Halloween. So like, I, I couldn't figure out, is it Halloween now? Is it Halloween later? I'm like, you moron, they spell it out in the name of the dance. That's the pre-Halloween dance. Yeah, come on, guy, pre-Halloween. There's an actual Halloween dance. So this is the one that goes on before it. Yeah, yeah so right before the pre-Halloween dance, Jim Carrey has one last dream. This is the one where he dreams he's with the Countess, and they're biting Robin. But 
I'll point out one thing you said, that Jim Carrey is awesome in this scene. The other thing I want to point out is the bat is the worst special effect I've possibly ever seen in a movie. You know, and especially coming from a movie that had a friggin' lion in it, <laughs> the fact that they basically went to Spirit Halloween and got some fishing line for that bat is a little disappointing. <laughs> it's so terrible. And it's like, I cannot believe Lauren Hutton had to act with that bat and pretend that looked good. Well, she was in a green screen. She she thought she was she was talking to a tennis ball. <laughs> it literally was a tennis ball with some wings on it. They're like, we're gonna CG in this later, and she's like, what the hell, is CG? It's 1985. Come on. But I do have to point out, like you said, Jim Carrey goes full on vampire in the scene where it's the dream sequence, and he's like legitimately scary looking. He's really good here, and I kind of forgot about that. It's like I said, like if if it came out that he had extra muscles in his face, you'd be like. That, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so here we go, the dance scene. One of the ten greatest movie scenes of anything in the 80s to the point that my wife and children refuse to watch anymore because I've watched it so many times. Okay, uh, let's set the scene here. With the pre-Halloween dance, Mark and his girlfriend are supposed to go as Jack and Jill. He forgot his costume, so he's just all dressed in black. Everyone assumes he's a vampire, and it becomes a running joke throughout the rest of the night. Everyone calls him a vampire, and he's like, I'm not wearing a costume. Yeah, um, and then we, uh, uh, Robin is dressed as, as Raggedy Ann, is that correct? No, Jill, from Jack and Jill. Jill, that's right, yeah. Jill, from, from Jack and Jill. Um, they head into the dance. One of the things I wanted to point out, uh, and again, this is for the people that weren't around in the 80s, there's a Halloween costume there that is so near and dear to my heart, and it, 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 I'm a huge Halloween fan, um, and it really speaks to, you know, what it was like to be a kid in the 80s, and it's, it's this, this costume that's basically an inflatable head, like an alien head that goes on top of your head and like your head becomes the neck. Uh, just seeing that, it sounds dumb, but just seeing that costume like makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside because it was, it was a different time. Uh, you could wear spooky costumes to school. You can't really do that anymore. Kids these days get off my lawn. Uh, but uh, like, just like if you're watching this movie that just know that whenever I see that costume, I, I get all, all fuzzy inside. Yeah. It's right uh, at the start too. Yeah. Um, when that leads us to, uh, oh, first of all, um, Jamie or Russ, I can't tell the difference, has this bit where he was going to go as Gandhi, but he, he couldn't find what he, what was he couldn't, he couldn't find the find, mustache. Couldn't find a mustache, so he went as Yule Brenner. Is that, that's a joke someone wrote. Like, it, like, and granted, I was super, I was young when this movie came out, but like, you know, I'm up on my cop culture through the decades I'm like is someone wrote this this is this is funny <laughs> yeah that like watching that now i'm like nobody now is going to know who yule brenner is unless you're past a certain age i saw this movie in the 80s and i didn't know who yule brenner was that was even dated then i mean i know who yule brenner is it's it's just not funny it's such a it's kind of like when i watched the the star wars prequels um and there's a scene where Jar Jar Binks steps in a pile of feces and that's it and I'm like, somebody was sitting at a typewriter, a probably computer, and they were like, I need a joke here. Hey, Jar Jar steps in a pile of poop. <laughs> Period. And that's what it was. So, uh, you know, they can't all be winners, I guess. And don't know me wrong. Don't go, don't go scanning through my Survivor coverage to find my crappy jokes because there are plenty. But, you know, they're not in a, in a movie that has a lion. I'm just saying that. Now, I appreciate the fact that you think somebody wrote that joke and that wasn't just Skip Lackey improvising. Okay, that's true. Skip Lackey and his, uh, he, he, yeah, but 
maybe in the hands of a, of a more talented comedian, that would have been a gem. Maybe they hand that over to Jim Carrey, see what he can do with it. But uh, I wasn't I wasn't feeling it. <laughs> Lackey, we're coming for you. You dragged this movie down. I know. I, when, going into this this podcast, I'm like, if I can get Mario to talk about that Yul Brenner joke for like five minutes, I will feel like I've accomplished something. Well, mission accomplished. Well done. Sam. Yes. We're, we're a success. As, as we hold off on the immortal dance scene, because we have to talk about the Yule Brenner joke. Yeah. Sorry about that. Those patrons are just like hitting the, the cancel button as we speak. I'm costing you money. <laughs> You're the worst guest ever. You're costing me viewers, listeners. Your kids are like, not only do I got to listen to that stupid hands off song, but now that jerk's costing us money. Yeah. My daughter's now dating Skip Lackey, so screw you. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> So here we go to the dance off. Now, I've been thinking about this episode for months, how I'm going to talk about how do you even describe this dance off to people? And so I will leave it to you. Paint a picture for people. Okay, so so the basic gist of it is it's it's the love triangle in dance form. And it's basically an 80 song is playing hands off. It's really catchy. It's a really good song. And obviously tells the story because it's about a woman telling another woman to keep her hands off her man. So um, it's basically a back and forth where Jim Carrey goes from woman to woman dancing with them. Um, and it is better than it has any right to be in an 80s movie. This isn't Footloose, guys. This is Once Bitten. This is a, a comedy. Um, and to, to the point that, it, you know, it's back and forth between the two. And at one point, the three are dancing together um, as the dance goes on. Uh, Robin starts removing pieces of her costume, um, which uh, when I was a youngster, I did not mind one bit. And actually, as an adult, I don't mind it either. Um, and when it when it comes to a point where um, where the countess has realized she has lost the day and her and Sebastian are going to retreat, uh, Jim Carrey and Karen Copens uh, continue dancing. And it is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Like she's she clearly has a dance background. She's great. Jim Carrey more than holds his own. Uh, in a if Jim Carrey went on Dancing with the Stars, you know, give that dude the Mirrorball trophy because it is it's just a fantastic number. I don't know if I'm even doing it justice, uh, but it just it's so out of place in an 80s teen sex comedy. Uh, uh, but it, it uh, the song works. The dance works. It gets the beat across. By the time it's over, you're rooting for Robin and Mark, which should have been the point of the, the whole number. Like, I, I think that's one of the, the problems with the Countess and Sebastian being so likable is that by you don't know you don't want to be torn you want to have a side to root for and i think this number accomplished that by the end if you weren't team robin before uh you're you're definitely team robin by the end of it is this the best musical moment in an 80s movie oh goodness how like are, are we like this is a decade that provided uh footloose and dirty dancing so i, I would i would say definitely not okay uh, but i would give it an honorable mention if i made a top 10 list and, and, and I'm sorry, uh, Grease 2 came out in the 80s as well, so definitely not. Okay, I take it back. Yeah, I forgot about Grease 2. Okay, yeah, so my thoughts on this is this is a, a fantastic scene. And again, Karen Copens, I've been reading up on her, Robin. She had a very extensive dance background. And you can really tell in this movie, if you especially watch her during this scene, she is so good in this scene. And then Jim Carrey just is all, you know, rubbery and flexible and bendy. But, like, that guy was a legitimately good dancer, too. In fact, there's two parts in this little montage that I love. 
there's one where she's doing this little move where she like spins around like a top and she has a hand over her head and he lifts up his leg and starts playing it like a guitar which I can't even imagine the balance and strength that would take to get your leg that high and the balance to be able to do that but he does and it looks really cool it's like wow that's future Jim Carrey right there before anybody knew who he was yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything in, in Jim Carrey's filmography that points to having, like, those kinds of, like, dancing chops. And, I, like, I, I don't know, in The Mask, did he do any of his own dancing? Yeah, he does uh, some, but it's nothing like this. Right, like, it, it, it just, I can't emphasize enough that it's amazing that this kind of, and, like, I'm not, like, a huge dancing fan. Like, I don't, you know, I don't hang out on dancing blogs and stuff like that. Are there dancing blogs? Probably. Uh, but like, it is just, it is jaw on the floor. Amazing. Yeah. And then two other things I want to add is that there's another scene later at the dance at the very end where Robin kisses Mark and then he suddenly becomes Michael Jackson and he does the Michael Jackson move where you lift your leg up and slam it down to the ground. And it's so crisply done. It's so sharp. Yeah. They're like, Michael Jackson could not have done that any better. It's perfect. Yeah. Like it, the, it, I can't emphasize enough. Like the, the last third one, it's just the two of them. She she obviously has a ton of training, and he not even holds his own. He is legitimately great in that dance number. Yeah, and then on top of that, on top of all this, all the things that are going on in the scene that are so amazing, the song. This song, Hands Off, I think I did a little research on it a while back, because I'm like you. I've had this song on my iPod for years. I play it all the time. It's on all my playlists. It's one of my favorite 80s songs. I don't think it was ever even released. I think it's just in the movie, and that's it. I think you, there, like the 80s was a magical time and you obviously have songs that were big hits that made their way into movies. But then you also have songs like You're the Best from Karate Kid. Mm -hmm. um, like there, there are songs from Girls Just Want to Have Fun, uh, Dancing in Heaven uh, by Q Feel. There, there are songs that like that put you in a, in, a, in a moment in a movie. This is definitely one of those songs. Obviously, this, this movie wasn't as big as either of those two examples, but like it, you know, if, if you're from that era, if you have an appreciation for 80s music and you have not checked this out, definitely check it out. Like it, it, th this would have been a hit, I feel like, if it had been released on the radio. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's funny. I actually about a year ago, a year or two ago, I said, hey, there's this obscure movie in the movie Once Bitten I've always loved. And I posted a link to it. It's on YouTube. You can find it it's on just look for uh, Hands Off by Marie Vidal. Is that her name? Uh, I'm not sure. Something like that. But I posted a link to it, and I had people listen to it had never really heard this movie before. And I have a friend who I grew up with named Katie, and she listened to it, and she's like, you know what that song sounds like? And I'm like, what? She's like, 1985. She's like, if I could define 1985, that's what that song sounds like. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, even, like I said, like, the lyrics tell the story of what you're watching. And I, I'm not usually the biggest fan of that when, when lyrics are, like, on the nose for the scene that they're they're over, but like, man, it just works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the lyrics are on, and the timing is on. The beats, when the when the song changes from one lyric to another, it times perfectly with the dance. It's edited so well. Yeah. 
Five stars. Five stars. And I should point out, this was actually the moment the Countess was coming to bite Mark and drink, drink him for the third time. And she even starts by biting his buttons. There are button biting during this dance. But Robin stops it by getting in the way and kissing Mark. So the Countess Robin saves his life with Robin saves his life with dancing. That's right. Sexy dancing can save the world sometimes. Sexy dancing, man. Good for her. And, I, and I've never had such feelings about Jill. I would I would absolutely fetch a pail of water with her. <laughs> All right. So so the countess has been foiled by this sweet girlfriend, Robin, and she storms off and out of the gym. And again, per her ritual, has to shove somebody on the way out, this guy in a nun costume, which is a little countess thing I always loved. Sebastian lets us know there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> yes. So... Mark wins the dance contest, wins the costume contest for being a vampire, even though he says, I'm not in a costume. And then out in the hallway, he and Robin are out there. And this is where she notices he has no reflection. This is the first time she realizes something's weird. Right. And this puts her on the track to uh, getting to the bottom of what's going on, which which, uh, I believe she goes to an an, an, a vampire expert of some kind. (laughs) Uh, who has has the perfect book that shows exactly where vampire uh, countesses bites virgins to, to get the blood, uh, which leads us to the shower scene. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get to the shower scene, now, there's one line here I have to mention where the <laughs> vampire, apparently it was very easy to find a vampire expert back in the day, but she finds this guy. <laughs> if you can find a lady with a lion and a late night bikini photo shoot and Dean Stockwell, valeting cars you can find a, a vampire expert pretty easily uh, but he's this yeah, he's this old weird old guy and i love his line he's like well a female vampire would have to drink the blood of a virgin to stay young but that would be very hard because she'd have to find a teenage virgin and i don't think there's teenage virgins anymore he's like if you know an 18 year old virgin nowadays i think he'd have bigger problems than vampire bites <laughs> i know like all this virgin shaming it was it was a different time so now we're to the shower scene. Thank you for setting it up. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so I'll set it up. We'll, we'll gloss over this. Again, it's not a really integral scene, but it's one that people tend to harp on why this movie doesn't age well, where Robin needs to check if Mark has been bitten on his inner thigh next to his scrotum. She's like, he should have a bite right there. And she tells his buddies, please check. Please go search right next to his testicles for a bite. They're like, I'm not going to do that. She's like, I can't. You have to. I don't know. Why she can't, by the way, if she's his girlfriend, she'd like she'd be. Yeah, if anybody should be doing that, it's if anybody had easy access, it was it was Robin. Yep. But she enlists his buddies. So there's a whole scene where they go in the shower room and they're trying to figure out if Mark has marks on his inner thigh, and it ends up with them wrestling him down in the shower. One of them peering right next to his penis, and the dread cry. I will not use the exact word of, "Hey, there's homosexuals in our shower," and everyone starts screaming and panicking. Yeah, it's relax, guys. <laughs> so that's it. That's it. That that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, but like I said, like I, if I remember, like again, my memory's garbage. But if I remember correctly, they followed up with Mark being like, "Hey guys, if you wanted to like know, you should have asked," or something along those lines, where he's not a jerk to them. Yeah. Um, which would would have been another which would have been another easy joke. Yeah, and that backs up my point. It's not presented mean-spiritedly. It's just something, shenanigans in the locker room, and it's never brought up again. And Mark's even like, why not just ask? And they're like, we could have asked. So that that's the only time it's even mentioned. All right, so now we're getting to the finale of the movie that, as, as Gordon said, Sebastian knows there are other ways to skin a cat. Instead of coming to Mark, they're going to make Mark come to them, and they're going to do it by kidnapping Robin. All right, and I will set it up as you can race us home through the grand finale here. 
Oh, goodness. So um, let's I need Jimmy to walk me through it. So, uh, so uh, Mark and, and his two buddies show up uh, to try to free Robin. They get captured. Um, I believe as they 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 put uh, Mark in this weird contraption. Uh, it's Halloween Eve, by the way, so this has to happen by midnight. The this, uh, the final bite must take place before midnight. The Countess is going to age. Uh, uh, if I remember correctly, Robin manages to to wrestle a, a candelabra away and, and and manages fires what what keeps them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll do it. I I I I know the scene really well. Okay. So they rescue Robin from her prison. She's been tied to a chair. She's like, Mark, you're still a virgin. She's like, they told me all about it. They've only bit you twice. They're gonna bite you one more time. You're still a virgin. It's okay. And then they get trapped. Mark gets strapped into this thing like a medieval torture device. And the, the Countess is there, and she's. It's a big ceremony where all the, the good guys are trapped, the henchmen have them held hostage, and the countess is going to drink Mark's blood, and she walks over to him, and she spreads his legs as long, as wide as possible so she can have easy access into his crotch, and Mark's like, no, please don't, and first he, he pleads, please don't bite my buttons, this is my dad's coat, so <laughs> spare the buttons, and then he's like, I don't want to be a vampire, I'm a day person. And this is the the last minute, right before she goes in for the kill. Robin breaks away here from her captor. She grabs a, a crucifix and she holds it up to the countess. She says, here, stay away. He's mine. And the countess is like, well, crucifixes don't hurt me. I'm an atheist. So Robin grabs a torch and the countess screams. She's like, fire, on the other hand. I don't like fire. I, w- I wish Robin had actually just quoted the song. If she'd been like, hey, hands off. He belongs to me. <laughs> that, would, that would That would not have been too on point for you? Yeah, maybe a little too on point, but a nice callback to my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, okay. And here's the line you quoted earlier. I will say it complete with the F word if you don't want to. This is where Go she. For it. Okay, so Robin, the nice girlfriend, is now facing the Countess, and Robin has rescued Mark. She's freed him from his little torture device. Robin says to the Countess, "He doesn't want you because you're mean and evil. He wants me because I'm nice and sweet and pure. So fuck off." <laughs> And she really, and she really leans into that alpha off. It's really nice. I know that was a solid Robin, by the way. Kudos. Well done. <laughs> so Mark and Robin run away through the the corridors. All the vampires are chasing him, trying to get that last bite before midnight. And eventually, this is where I said earlier they're going through the doors, and the Countess is like, "Stop smashing doors! I have to replace those." And then there's even a part where Jamie and Russ are actually for for once. Actually, that's not true. Them trying to find out if you've been bitten was 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 a good point for them but also they try to they try to protect them they're like you know leave us and uh you know but the the, the vampires pretty much just walk by them and again ask raising the question are these guys virgins like why can't they be the sacrifice instead um and at a point uh two of the uh the countess's lackeys not skip lackeys um actually put the moves on them Look, looks like um they I, they strip in front of them and uh which kind of seemed out of place considering like the, the violence that I thought was about to take place. But yeah, it's a very weird scene. Well, Russ and Jamie are about to have sex and then be eaten. If it makes you feel better. Yeah. Oh, okay. As, as you do. Yeah. So Skip Lackey is going to get the ending he deserved. He will have sex and they will be consumed by a succubus. You know that Skip Lackey, I, I feel like we, we've given, given him a hard time. I don't want you to lose any more, uh, any more dollars. So like Skip, you, you came through in the end, bud. So like, uh, why don't you stick around? You know, Skip Lackey was nominated for an Oscar about six years later, right? Really? No, I'm just kidding. That guy's shit. Yeah, I didn't think that. I didn't think that. <laughs> no. 
So, okay, here's the end of the movie. So all the vampires are chasing Mark and Robin, and they end up cornered in the vampire lair at the bottom, the bedroom, and they end up inside the coffin that was prepared for Mark earlier in the movie. This is going to be his coffin. And we don't see it, but we see the aftermath that Robin has figured out the one loophole in the Countess's plan to drink the blood of a virgin. There's one way to stop that. Now, Gordon, what would that one way be? Well, I tell you, when they pop that coffin open, uh, Robin, my love, spits out a button. So clearly uh, they had uh, done the deed. I love that little button spit. I forgot that was in there. That's such a nice little moment. I talked about when, like when I saw this as a kid, I didn't I didn't get the sex things, but uh, the, the line is she's like you didn't have time, and then uh, and then what, what how does no she go the, 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 there's like no way you couldn't have, and then Jim Carrey comes out like looking all goofy because he just got laid and she's like well you didn't have time to enjoy it, and my parents howled at that line and I did not know why. <laughs> It's really well, and I got to give Lauren Hutton credit. She holds her own in this against two really good actors, and she's not really an actor. Oh, absolutely! Yes. Like, you know, there, there have been like speaking of um, Cindy Crawford, like you know, she had her acting debut when it was not auspicious. I thought Lauren Hutton did a, a, a totally serviceable job, better than serviceable. She did a great job. Yep. Yeah, so Robin has foiled the Countess's plan. The Countess must drink the blood of a virgin. So Robin just sleeps with her boyfriend, and now he's not a virgin, and game over. GG, Countess. And, yeah, that's it, man. And that's the thing why I said it's interesting is that this movie is not, not pro-sex. It's not anti-sex. Like, American Pie is all over the place with its morals. Other sex movies are. This one is just a functional way to stop the bad guy, and it just happens. And it's like no big deal. It's like, wow, okay. And then Robin's perfectly fine with it because it stopped the bad guy and her boyfriend saved. Yeah, and Ro it's, it's not Robin is anti-sex or anything like that. She's just not ready, which is a perfectly acceptable reason to not have sex. Uh, and then once they, they do it and they, they see, like, they, you know, she's like, they're right. We didn't have time to enjoy it. Let's do it again. So, like, a very sex-positive message. Um, I, again, maybe maybe uh, Robin should be still be annoyed that Mark was trying to fool around with a 400-year-old vampire, but, you know. Like, they have their own issues to work out. Robin has short-term memory issues. That's what we learn here. Yes, apparently. So, yeah, so once Mark is no longer a virgin, the Countess can't drink her blood, the clock strikes midnight, she suddenly ages because she's no longer this hot 30-year-old, you know, vamp. Maybe she's 40, I don't know. But she shrivels up and becomes this old 400-year-old vampire. You see her in her true form, and everyone's like, ew. And she's like, I need a virgin. I must have a virgin. And Sebastian, ever the gentleman, puts his arm around her and ushers her off stage to the left because now she's powerless. Yeah, Sebastian never gives up on her. He's coming up with alternate plans. <laughs> Sebastian's great. Again, Sebastian, underrated hero here. Robin, underrated hero. The dad, underrated hero. Just a bunch of underrated heroes all being overshadowed by these hack buddies who are not that funny. I know. And that's their purpose, man. They're there for comic relief. <laughs> yeah. And they provide – maybe – you know how like in a, in a drama you need comic relief? Maybe in this comedy they're like the, the not funny relief. The straight men, that's what you needed? <laughs> Yeah, like, the, the what purpose do they serve? Sorry, Skip. Skip, sorry. <laughs> we needed to break the tension by throwing in some drama here to break up the comedy. <laughs> so, and that's really the end of the movie. It just ends with we fade out as Mark and Robin are in his coffin. The door closes. It bounces up and down. They're clearly banging and enjoying it now, and they will have a happy, healthy relationship, and they will live long and bear children one day. And that's the end of the movie, one of my favorite underrated 80s comedies. The end. 
So do you have anything else to add that you felt we skipped over? It's such a simple movie, but I can't imagine there's things we could have missed. No, I, I, I think we did a good job covering everything. Um, I, again, it, it's kind of like when I was talking to my wife about this, it's like, I don't know if I would recommend it if this isn't like your bag. Like if you're not into like, if, if, if like an 80s movie like this isn't your thing, then don't bother. But like if, if, if this was your era and you're interested, like it is it, it is much better than the reputation it has. Yeah. And again, it's so lighthearted and it's so innocent and so earnest. There's something about this movie I've always just loved, just the spirit behind it. It's not especially mean spirited. It's like doesn't really have any bad messages. It's just kind of a fun, simple movie and that's especially valuable now in an era where they don't really have fun simple little comedies like this anymore so i think you should kind of hold on to little gems like this that they don't really do anymore yeah and drive your your loved ones crazy with it that's what i say if, if there's a if you get a chance to play uh hands off for your loved ones two three hundred times i say go for it yes absolutely it's a sure way to drive a wedge between you and your wife excellent thank you for the advice gordon alexa play hands off And before we go, one more thing about Once Bitten Again. It might not be your bag or your type of movie. Again, it's it's a very likable movie. It's hard to dislike, but you, it might be a little silly and, you know, uh, useless for you. It doesn't really make any greater purpose on anything. But if you would like to see young Jim Carrey 10 years before he became really famous, it is a nice little time capsule, and I think that would interest almost anybody. So that's my one recommendation. Even if you don't think you'd watch this movie, it's worth it just to see the future talent of Jim Carrey before anybody knew who he was. Yeah, like that, like show up for Jim Carrey, but know that like your core four, um, Cleavon Little, Karen Copins, Lauren Hutton, more than hold their own. Like, they, like they, there's so many, there's so much fun little interplay in there. Um, yeah, like there's, there's a lot of good to be found there. And I really hope Karen Copins listens to this one day because I'm sure nobody has done a podcast extolling how amazing she is for at least 30 years. So I hope she stumbles onto this one day. Yeah, like 30 years ago, the podcasts were very negative about uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> about Once Bitten. So this will be a nice little surprise for her. <laughs> they were all anti-Karen Copens back then. We've done it a renaissance, a Copensance. Yeah, she'll be like, oh, she'll be like, Skip, I, I just listened to this great podcast about her old movie. You might not want to listen to it. <laughs> yes. It's not for you, Skip. <laughs> all right. So, Gordon, before we sign off, anything you want to plug? How can people reach you? What What's your survivor coverage these days? Oh, goodness. So uh, on Xfinity.com, uh, we still do episode recaps for Survivor. When there is exit interviews to be had, we do that. Uh, Survivor Power Rankings with Malcolm Freeberg. Uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, Gordon Holmes, uh, G-O-R-D-O-N-H-O-L-M-E-S. Instagram, Gordon W. Holmes. Uh, and if you're an X1 subscriber, uh, Comcast X1, say hang out with Gordon in your voice remote and you'll get treated to all kinds of uh, – Interviews that we've been doing, my movie picks, my video game picks, stuff like that. Well, there's just all kinds of wacky business going on. All right. Well, again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you guys need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Until next time, please don't bite off anybody's buttons. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.
doesn't want you because you're mean and evil. He wants me because I'm nice and sweet and pure. So fuck off.